Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Holtz, it's about time. Hi, buddy. How are you? Uh, welcome to the three questions. I say that so people know uh, that, like, because a lot of people just happen to click on this podcast without no having any idea what they're doing. Not me, my friend. I I subscribe, rate, and review. Oh, thank you very much. When I first met you, that was you know the, the the first met you. I was just I was thinking about it today this morning as we were getting prepared to talk, and I thought like. I met you through somebody, maybe like through one of the UCB people at mm-hmm. a party or something. And it was, and it was, you know, I don't know, probably it's got to be at least 10, 12, 13 years ago. And I, and I, but because I met you and I think you had weed and I was like, Hey, can you get me weed? Cause it was at the, like <laughs> that period of my adulthood where, you know, there's, there's like a gap year. Well, at least there used to be like, there was like, there was your rum young, everybody had weed and then you get married and you have kids and you're in to have a job and you're like, I have no idea where to get weed anymore. Yeah, and then before I was leaving. Yeah. And so like for you, I think in my phone, you may have been Ike parentheses weed for real. I think so, but I don't, <laughs> but I, because <laughs> I was like, because I wasn't sure I would remember Ike, but then of course, as time went on, I got to know you. I mean, this was just like the first time of meeting you. And I remember where it was specifically. You do. Cause I, yeah, we were at Amy Poehler's beach house playing poker with Seth Myers, Josh Myers, Dak Shepard, yep. Will, and I had weed, and and you were like, "Where did you get this?" And I was like, "I don't know, a guy named Eric." <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's. I don't. Uh, that's listen, so- I'm a, I'm slightly ashamed that you, that I just was such a user in those days. No, it's uh, hey, I'm, I hope I hooked you up. I think you did. I don't remember. I think though. I did. I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, it, and that by the way, that that poker game. That wasn't 13 years ago. That was like almost, that was like 17 years ago. Oh. That was like 2002, 2003. It's old. Yeah, we're old. Just I remember going. the night I met you was the first time I heard the second track off the Backstreet Boys fourth album. Yes. So 2002. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird gauge. Yeah. That's why you named your kids Back and Street. I did. Yeah. And Kevin, Kevin Richardson. Uh, but I knew. I, 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 I used to watch your picture so much. Uh, look at your picture so much because uh, we come from the same uh, theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do the Improv Olympic. Mm-hmm. So where where are you from? Because I don't know about uh, like I have never this. I've said this before. One of the great things about this podcast is I get to act ask people who are actual friends of mine probing personal questions that would be weird mm-hmm. in a social setting. So what? Where are you from in Chicago? I am from uh, the north side. Mm-hmm. 
not the North Shore. Uh, where are you from? St. Charles? Where are you from? I'm from out west. Uh, Yorkville is where I grew up. Kind of, which is like all. It's like when it stops. Although now it's different. But when I was a kid, it was, it was like a farm town. Yeah, and we didn't. Yeah, we, our, it, to go into the city was to go into Aurora, not to go. I mean, you only went in. We uh, first of all, it's just t- terrified white people out there in yes. those days, and yeah. Uh, so you only went into. I, I only went in Chicago. Excuse me. Only went into Chicago for. Cubs games, Bears games, the occasional White Sox game, but usually Cubs games because my stepfather yeah. had had season tickets then um, when they were dirt cheap. He had them since like 1970 on the first baseline, second row. And like got, $3 a ticket. And totally got fucked out of it. Like totally got like oh, yeah. just out, outpriced and just like fuck you from the Cubs as soon as they started doing well. Way to go, yeah. Cubs. And uh, and then also the occasional museum trip, you know, you'd go into the sure. safe or the big tree at Marshall Fields at Christmas time. We used to yep, do that. That's a big one. But Pick up some frangos. But like when people ask me, like, so you grew up outside of Chicago as a kid? Did you like? No, I never went and like explored Chicago on my own. <laughs> it was terrifying, you know. But were uh, you yeah, in no. the city? Were you? Oh yeah, I was right in the city. I grew up. You know, you could call it uptown. You could call it Lakeview. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's basically uh, uh, Clarence, between Clarendon and the lake, and then right in between Montrose and Irving Park. Okay. So, uh, like, a, exactly one mile away from Wrigley Field, but definitely, like, right in the middle of the city, and it was, it wasn't, like, a great neighborhood. A couple blocks down was some nice houses. The governor used to live there, but, like, my street, the street's next to us, and then once you went one block west... It was rough. I remember when my neighbor got shot in front of our house one night. It was like, it was just growing up in a big city in the 80s. Uh, I think it toughens you up a little bit. Yeah. Um, You know, but yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up there and uh, um, my parents finally moved out of there about eight or nine years ago. So I only go back like once a year to see my grandmother or something, but uh, I'm not there as much as I'd like. Where did your folks move to? Well, uh, my mom's from South Central Ohio and uh, kind of in between Dayton and Cincinnati, I guess. And uh, like eight or nine years ago, she's like, I want to go be in Ohio. And my all her siblings live there. Yeah. And my brother and I were living in L.A. <clears throat> at the time. And she's like, I, I don't want to just be in Chicago by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Or with, yeah. So my dad was still working. So he would come on the weekends. But now they're both there full time in Ohio, you know, in Ohio, they live, you know, they live like one town away from, and it's the middle of nowhere. Yeah. They live one town away from Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. Randomly. Yeah. It's weird that Dave Chappelle lives in the middle you'll of nowhere, Ohio. Yeah. You'll see him like, you'll be in like, you'll be like at like, uh, you know, the comic book store and you'll see like a Maserati pull up and like, <laughs> it's fucking awesome. It's so cool. But he's actually like an amazing part of the community there. Like he saved the farmer's market and like, he like really, uh, I think like the people there really uh, love him. Yeah, they ought to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. how many kids in your family? Just me and my brother John. Yeah. Um, just the two of us, two boys. Um, you know, like I said earlier, it was like growing up in that era was like the greatest. Yeah. Like it, everything was still kind of safe. And like, look, I had like weird shit. Like there was a couple friends of mine that got killed when they were younger and. Um, but like for the most part, like I never felt like worried mm-hmm. and, and, but it still, it wasn't like gentrified. It was like, it was, yeah, it you was, know, Chicago of, our, of at least my childhood 
yeah was on the and even the north side because i remember going to cubs games even you know around wrigley field was not great you know it was no you know you, we got our car broken into a couple of times because my oh, yeah. stepfather was too cheap to pay for parking so we yeah. park half a mile away you know under the l tracks and i did did you watch the last dance at all the Bulls documentary? I did not. I, I want to, but I haven't yet. You should treat yourself and watch it. It's amazing. It's magnificent. It's wonderful. It's funny. It's sad. But the the it ends with them winning their last championship in 98. And it ends with them and Grant Park holding the big trophies. And I got so emotional watching that because I was like, I I moved out of Chicago about a year later. Yeah. And, and that to me is like the high point of Chicago because really in 2000s, that's when like the gentrification became honestly obscene. Yeah. And, and daily fucking completely lost, you know, control and, and fucked the whole city up kind of. But um, that, that, that like I, when I think of like the best time uh, for me in Chicago, it's definitely that like 1998, that's when it kind of ended for me. Um, Did you, uh, yeah, I always, I always remember, and I don't remember which one it was. But one of the nights that the Bulls won, I think it might have been the second one, or maybe it was the third, the three-peat, you know, I think it might have been. 93? Yeah. No, it wouldn't have been 93 then. It would have been, it might have been, it might have been 91, um, because, uh, but I was at the Annoyance Theater on Broadway. Sure. And a bunch of people had been there to watch it, and uh, we were on the roof after they had won, and traffic was at a stop, and people are hanging out of their cars, and honking their horns and Jeff Garland was at the theater and he went down and was running around in the street just saying to people, what happened? What happened? What happened? Like, it's just the funniest fucking thing. I love the thought of it, the annoyance watching a, a ball game. I'm sure also people were doing acid and swinging. Yeah. At the yeah. Same absolutely. Time, oh yeah. Yeah. It was all, it was, uh, it was basketball slash fisting, uh, a party. It was mixed birthday. It was a real party. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Can you shut the door? Thank you. Anyhow. Um, so, did you go to public school? Uh, I didn't. Um, we grew up, uh, I-, I call it middle upper class, just because we didn't have money, but we also weren't poor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it used to be a class. Now it's not. Yeah. It's just been like fucking eradicated. And so, like, we didn't have, like, you know, nice cars and didn't really go on, like, a lot of vacations and stuff. But the one thing my parents did, like, want to put a lot of all their money into was our education. So, uh, elementary school. Well, that paid off. Yeah, seriously. I didn't even go to college. Oh, no. (sighs) Um, Went to a little Jewish day school called Anshamit on Pine Grove and Grace. Uh Uh-huh. Great place. Very Sweet, even though like young Jewish kids, like when they're all together, can be like fucking hellions, man. We were like bad kids. We were like troublemakers, but like not like like you know running around with guns and shit. Right, right, right. But um, just but, assholes. But just little assholes. Yeah, yeah. Little Jewish assholes. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, that isn't necessarily, uh, you know, necessarily a Jewish thing. <laughs> I don't think. You know, I think that there's. I think that that can run across various groups of. Uh, I know. I only think I only think Jews. I only think Jews on this one. <laughs> I have some interesting thoughts on race and ethnic science. I would like to get into. Listen, um, 
Uh, no, but so I went there, and then for high school, I went to Latin, Latin school uh-huh. in Chicago, which is a great- Fancy. Private, very fancy. Uh, Nancy Reagan went there, never heard of her. Um, uh, but that was really like, and that was pretty much the only, the, I went to college for one year, so I really think of my education as Latin. Yeah. Because it was so great. It was a true, like, liberal education where, like, I, all the friends I had from there are, I'm friends with almost all of them today. My my partner um it's it was just in a, a really really great place and to be there in the 90s when it's like the bulls were winning and everything it was just like the best moment i'm, I'm so fucking lucky that i got to grow up there at that moment what year did you graduate 95 95 okay yeah 95 yeah and then i did a did a little stint at boston university um which i did not like uh um, you didn't I like boston you didn't like school Going to I college. didn't like. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Were I didn't like it. I was done. I, I, I got there and I was like, first of all, I, I had never smoked weed or done mushrooms or anything, and I like start started chain smoking weed. Like I was just like, I, I went crazy with the freedom. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where I was like, and then I just hated my classes, and I was like, I don't even know what I want. I don't want to do this. I kind of want to act, and this sucks. And I basically. I failed out slash quit one of those things. Yeah. It was like, uh, if you want to come back here, you're going to have to retake everything. And I was like, I don't want to come back. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, but, but because of that, um, I ended up in Chicago with very angry parents. And one night they took me to see the, I believe the 10th anniversary show at the Vic theater for improv Olympic. And I'm wondering if you were there. I probably was. I most definitely was. I remember like, and this, this was, was now, this is an odd form of punishment by them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, my dad said you were going to go watch freestyle. Right. If you're not hours. going to school, I'm going to show you what might happen to you. I'll show you improv. You're going to end up yeah. like this. You're going to be gonna up, up there, like this loser. a grown man trying to figure out what the game is. <laughs> trying to ask some other fucking old man where you are. Figure out where you are and what the game is. Is that what you you're want? Gonna be up on, you're going to be up on stage pretending to be a fucking baby. Yeah. <laughs> going to be a baby on stage? Do you know um, what freeze actually, tag is? You fucking ingrate. Now watch. Now you watch while they bring up an audience member and reenact his day. <laughs> Musical uh, improv. Do you know what that's like? <laughs> you have to think up a song. It's humiliating. <laughs> My dad's like the opposite of that. He's like basically like a straight version of Nathan Lane in the Birdcage. He's just like, <laughs> this is great. How great is this? I love theater. Um, but I will say like, it, it, I, I had recognized that there were famous people up there, right? Like it was you, Farley, yeah, Polar, yeah. blah, blah, blah. The person who blew my mind who was so funny that I literally remember thinking like, I, I, I should do this. Tim Meadows. Yeah. Tim. And I remember what he said. Oh my God. There was like a scene where it's like people were waiting in line to see a movie and they never said what the movie was. And Tim just enters the scene and go, and, and that weekend there was a movie called solo that came out starring Mario Van Peebles <laughs> and Tim Meadows enters the scene and goes, are you guys waiting to see solo? And no one laughed but me. And then Tim goes, now am I to understand he's part man, part machine, but all weapon? How is that possible? And I, 
I laughed about it for like a week and I swear to God, I signed up for classes like a few days. Yeah, ago. yeah. It was just like, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I, 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 I can stand on stage and just say funny shit right. and, and act shit out. I, I think I can do yeah. that. I have that skill set. <laughs> yeah, it's also, I mean, what, what appealed to me about it, and I don't know if you're the same, because I have terrible ADD, terrible ability yeah. to sit down. I mean, you, uh, you obviously, because, and I want to talk about that, like, you know, you've written screenplays. You've written big, big budget action comedies. Um, yeah. And I can't, like, I, I have a hard time finishing an email. You know, just because of my attention span, uh, my yeah. writing, like that's getting into television is how I could, is how I could write is sitting around in a, with a group of people uh, yeah. and, and doing it together as a collaborative effort. And I, I mean, I can write when I sit down, you know, I can put words together just fine. Um, but I, I just, it's, and I wanted to write. And then I found this thing where, cause I also, I wanted to write, I wanted to act. And then I found this thing where it's like, Oh, you can do both at the same time and you're in a pressurized environment so you don't get to think about it. So you just have to do yeah. it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, fucking right up my alley, you know? And it was also like, it was just like that moment. And by that moment, I mean like really like the nineties, like comedy was changing so much. You know what I mean? Like there was you and Conan and Mr. Show and, and um, like the Ben Stiller show and SNL was like amazing. And like, it was just, Comedy was so like everyone wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. People wanted to go and see it. And there was, it just felt so, so exciting and being there. And I had amazing people that I came up with, you know, through there. And some of whom are like, you know, like Jack McBrayer and, and, you know, uh, Jason Sudeikis and stuff. But also some were just guys who just ended up like going to work on a horse farm who were so fucking funny yeah, in 1997. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They were just so fucking yeah, we, funny. The, so I, it was, I, there were people like that too, where it's, you know, where yeah. you're like, whatever happened to that guy? And it's like, oh, he's a chef now, you know? Yeah. 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 It's a really it was, fucking it was, funny chef now. Yeah. He's, he's a funny chef, but he uses a fake knife. He uses, <laughs> he does object work. And the yeah, he always food has is some, behind. He always has some prosthetic fingers in his pocket to fake cutting it off. <laughs> That would be a good bit. If you were a chef to just keep a couple of... Oh, fuck oh no, shit. not again. I don't know why he has a fake Italian accent. Well, I think we know most chefs all the time. That's just, that's oh, just, no. That's I chop fact. off of my finger. Uh, uh, hey, man. Uh, uh, Mario is at it again. <laughs> fucking. Hey, Mario. Table four is still waiting for their food. So when you're done with your joke, Careful, fucking get to it. Careful, there's a thumb in that pasta. <laughs> it's not a real. Hey, Mario, can we read you some recent Yelp reviews? Uh, um, okay. Okay, well, great. <laughs> Never coming back. Chef thought it was funny to put fake thumb in salad. Fuck off. Diane G, Echo Park. Yeah, you can see I responded. I said, fuck you, cunt. <laughs> He's such an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> you got a no sense of humor. <laughs> Uh, when, See, when, that was improv, what we just did, guys. That was improv. When we, uh, a few years ago, my family and I went to Key West, and my daughter, I think, stumbled upon, or no, my son stumbled upon, there was, we were looking for a place to eat, and we were looking, there was like a Thai restaurant, and apparently it's a, just a mess, and, but the owner. <laughs> Is that the name of it? It just, it, it just sounded like a mess, and people would leave bad reviews, and the owner would say, like, 
I remember you. You're garbage. Like, like would argue. And the whole, it was the most entertaining thing. I don't remember. You know, I don't know. Look, you know, Key West Thai restaurants and see if you can find it. But I love that. I'm a big fan of like when I'm like in like an intense writing period, I, I need to take like breaks and I need to watch things that require zero mental. Yes, I understand. You know. And one of those things, for some reason, are like clips of Gordon Ramsay just yelling at bad chefs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I fucking love it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the best is when the chefs are like yelling at customers, like, get out of here. Fuck you. You don't deserve my food, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah. It's just, I love it. Yeah, love yeah. It. Well, mm. so you started classes and then you just started classes. I mean, yeah. do you get an agent in Chicago? How do you know? How do you how do you break the bonds of Chicago as one frequently mm-hmm. needs to do? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I remember starting and taking <laughs> classes and not, not being good, um, but just, just slowly, like, I, I learned a lot by watching people, like, watching. I watched Armando every Monday for, like, three years, yeah. I feel like, um, before I started doing it. Um, I, I might have had an agent for a second, but, I, you know, when you're in Chicago, at least when I was there, the only goal was Second City. Yeah. Right? That's all you wanted was to, to be... And a touring company, and then ETC and a mainstay. It was and a little, and then, uh, It was different yeah. when I was there because I was there a number of years earlier because uh, Second City had kind of gotten not so great. Yeah, this was post-Paradigm yes. Loss. Yes. Uh, yes. Pinata Full of Bees, rather. Yes. And so I literally was a host at Second City and during Pinata and Paradigm. So we were watching this just incredible, you know, uh, just amazing comedy movement happening. And... Uh, but so I, that was my goal. That was my goal. Yeah. And I I only auditioned for them once, and I remember it very clearly. It was like a like a July or August day, and I was like, my dad always told me like wear a blazer, like wear a blazer. You wear a blazer, you look good. So I wore like a tan shirt, like a checkered blazer, and I got up there and because that says buttons. comedy. That says comedy. Yeah. That says. Shecky Green, right, right. Eddie Cantor, right. my my heroes. Young car salesman equals funny. Yes, yes. Um, I, by the time I even started the audition, I had sweat through my jacket. <laughs> I was so nervous. It didn't go well. And then I remember that night. You know our, you know Noah Gregoropoulos, uh, yes. the great Noah, yeah. wonderful man. One of the driest uh, wits on earth. Dr- driest wits on earth. Saw him that night at I.O. <laughs> he just looks at me and goes, you will not be working for Second City this year. <laughs> and I remember, like, I wasn't surprised. I was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. So, so, but I remember I was planning on like the next year. I'm going to audition. I'm going to audition. And um, I, at that point, like, we were we were doing great shows. We we had a, this group with Dell Close called the Lindbergh Babies, where we were doing a Saturday night ten o'clock show for like two years and basically I was doing like whenever I wanted to perform, I could perform like, you know, just show up, jump in a show. It was great. Yeah. But um, my buddy, Dave Bachman and I were living together and he said to me, I'm going to go audition for this boom Chicago, this theater group in Amsterdam. Yeah. They're coming to town. And all I knew about them was that they paid you to go there and you did not have to have another job. You know what I mean? Right. Cause I was working daytime at the fucking CTA. Oh, in wow. the marketing department. And it fucking in the what terrible. It was called, it was an offshoot of marketing called <laughs> quality management. Yeah. Um, it was, it was like. Um, and for people that don't know, that's the Chicago Transit Authority. That's the bus and the train. Yeah. yeah. Bus and the train. Yeah. And and it was just a nightmare. I fucking hated it. And, How did you get that you job? Know, <laughs> 
My dad's. <laughs> it's the most Chicago way ever. Yeah. My dad's my dad friend, killed someone. My my, uh, my guy, my dad used to work with. His dad was the president of the Carpenters Local, and uh. he he knew someone on the board and made a phone call to get me an internship, just an in, like a summer intern. Yeah, yeah. And then after I got kicked out of college, I came back and I was like, can I still work here? And they were like, yeah, I guess so. Um, so <laughs> it, it was horrible. And I was also like at night performing and like, you know how you drink like when you're a young yeah, theater yeah, person. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, really that was stupid. a pretty good show. Yeah, yeah, that was a great show. I'm going to have six pint glasses right. of Beam and Coke. Well, and the thing at that age too, because I was doing like moving. I was like working for moving companies and working yeah. – you know, for doing construction. And I, that those are the days when I would be drinking like that. And then someone would say like at midnight, like, Hey, do you want some acid? Yeah. And I'm like, yes. oh, I got, God, let's yeah. see. I got to work at eight. I got to lift a fridge up six flights eight. of stairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet I, I bet I can manage at eight, you know, and it's just the, and looking back to just the dumbest, just the dumbest, dumbest, you know, it's fun, but I mean, but now, now it makes me want to lie down on the floor right here. Oh my God. And I even so think about exhausting. the shit I used to do. I feel, yeah, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. That's the first yeah. emotion that comes to mind. But anyway, so I, I was so sick of that and I knew that you didn't have to have another job and I went to the audition and then they offered me a slot there because Seth Meyers was coming home. He was returning from doing his, his two years at Boom and they needed like a what, replacement. Is Seth Meyers from Chicago? I didn't know that. No, but he was in Chicago. He was at I.O. Oh, he was. Oh, I didn't know that. He was a Northwestern guy. Yeah, he was a Northwestern guy. And then he he was living in Chicago for years and doing uh, I.O. And, and all kinds of stuff. And then he went to Amsterdam. And then when he came home, I basically moved over there. Yeah. And I joined this theater company uh, for, I was there just under two years. So you lived in, in Amsterdam. Amsterdam for two years. That's pretty sweet. It was amazing. Yeah. It was just like Chicago was the... Chicago 98 was the perfect time to be in Amsterdam, uh, to be in Chicago, Amsterdam in like 2000, 99, 2000. That was a great, like that was still like the Euro was a thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. The, the, the Gilder the was a thing yeah, was pre-Euro. Yeah. Yeah. So you were like, oh, it's two Gilders to $1. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to like it. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's so great. And, and, and we didn't have to have another job. Yeah. We got there. And we were doing like a basically like a second city type thing where you write a show once a year or twice a year, maybe. And then just a lot of improv and bits. And I had never been to Europe before. And I was like, a, I was young and I had all these like fun people around me. And there's like just whole, just if you were to like type out my memories of that, it's just so much redaction. Just because I, not because I can't tell, just because I can't. Remember. Right, right. You know, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I kind of remember going to an orgy in Germany, uh, but I literally like, don't remember how I got there. <laughs> like, um, but like, but like, uh, uh, I was there for like, a, you know, yeah, just under two years with great people. Um, like Seth would still come. His brother Josh and I did a ton together. Jordan Peele was there. Yeah. Jason Sudeikis was there. Um, it, it, uh, Kay Cannon, Liz Kikowski, just all these like super fun talented yeah i was uh, folks. I, I was not aware of them until like kind of after i was out of chicago and i because i definitely i think would have attempted to yes to do that because just even if it's just a year uh, i mean and i also too like amsterdam is such a beautiful city and i've been a number of oh times God. and it's it's yeah. actually a shame because people are like you know they you say you want to go to amsterdam and there's like this <laughs> like yeah, because of red light district and weed, and it's like no, that's like 
No, I want to go to Anne Frank's yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also it's like the red light district is not appealing. And, no, the, uh, the, you know, we did it the best way where we had the theater had these two like, oh, 15-person boats. And they would teach you how to ride the boat. You mean drive and the so boat? You drive yeah, the boat. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could just like throw a bunch of beers and joints in the boat and could go through the red light from the canal. Oh, wow. And it was just like the best way to see it because you see all the crazy <laughs> shit without having to like actually like bump into someone with like an active herpes sore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went, you know, because like I, uh, you know, I think, I think prostitution should be legal and I think. 100%. I think sex workers, you know, d- deserve as much respect as any other worker. But then I would go to the red light district and I would be like, no, I don't like this. This is not, not my thing. I do not like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. I mean, the thing is this though, it's like, it's the most, uh, it's actually like semi-unionized. Yes. I know. They have a thing called the red thread. And like the sex workers there are probably safer than any other country just because it's, but but there is still like a, it's also less about seeing the women there who, you like to think it it's it's better than other places. It's seeing a lot of the men, yeah, who are just like yeah. fucking really gross, yes. man, <laughs> really yeah. gross. Yep, yeah. Um, so you get what gets you out of there? Uh, just basically, it was time to go. I too I, many I, German I, orgies, too, too many German too orgies, many, too much um, loss of muscle integrity. It wasn't cleaning up the clear the 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 rashes weren't clearing away right. as fast as I would have liked. Uh, no, I, my, my best friend is this guy named Dave Stassen and him and I had always talked about, you know, going to LA and, and trying to write movies in LA. And Were you continuing writing together during that yes. period? Yeah. Yeah. He was at Northwestern and I was in, in Amsterdam and we would write and be like, we should do this. And, and then like, it was kind of like Seth. And his brother and our friend Jill were planning on moving. And we're like, let's just all kind of go together. So we have like a support system. So we came out here and, uh, yeah, 2000, 2001. Uh-huh. And, you know, was doing, uh, you know, the broke L.A. life for yeah. for a couple years. Um, waiting tables at uh, Morton's. Actually, not even waiting. Bussing. Wow. Bussing tables, which is like, <clears throat> like, bussing, I think, is like the hardest fucking job. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's so, it's so stressful. Everyone, no one wants to talk to you. You're wearing like a giant apron. <laughs> like, it's like, it was, it was, it, it, it was not fun. I have but, a vague recollection of maybe eating there once when you were bussing tables. Oh, and, oh my God. And, 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 and you saying hi to me, you know, like it was. I mean, I was, I was working there up until about three or four months ago. <laughs> so was it then? You were Because it's really COVID that tables? shut it down. I was. I'm like Andy Kaufman. Oh. I, I I thought that I um it would be like a good way for me to stay in touch. Right, so right, right. I've been working shifts there three times a week for the last 18 years. That's just that's a pretension. That's like not even. That's not cool. That's just well, like, one man's pretension is another man's dedication. Yeah, it's a, a, a fucking. That's just weird. I mean, I could have you know? been time you could have spent with your children, but whatever. No, I think I think they are grateful for the for the food I brought home. <laughs> For daddy being sticky. <laughs> it was crazy though. Yeah. It was a great, it was fun. It was, I mean, it was like, saw a lot of like uh, Beverly Hills assholes. Oh, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Really definitely, uh, definitely informed my opinion of uh, LA, LA's wealth. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 
1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at the coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Can't you tell my love's a growing? What is your first kind of big gig? And are you are you married? Are you no are you no, 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 dating no, no. your I was fiance just, or anything? Or no, no. At this point, I was I was just like dating whoever. Getting, you know what get, I mean? Get, I never really picked up by Morton's regulars. Yeah, it was you know it was a little bit of a joke. You know, midnight cowboy type of thing <laughs> where I would meet a nice older widow and take her back to sure. you know. <clears throat> You know Beverly Wood yeah. and like just rubber feet and you know, yeah whatever. Right. Um, I still am in touch with a lot of those ladies and they're great. They're great and they're friends yeah. of mine. They just want to be listened to. They just want to be listened to. They yeah. want to talk about how much they miss their grandson yeah. and then they want to yeah. they want to like uh, get, watch you uh, have a play with yourself yeah. and, um, and get railed. <laughs> and get railed. They just want to be listened to and get railed. <laughs> All right, Granny. That's right. All right, Granny. Here you go. Um, no, first gig. I'm single. I'm fucking miserable. And by a miracle of God, um, I got my friend Nicole Sullivan got the producers of Mad TV to come see me and Seth's brother Josh do a two man show at, at IO. Wow. And they had just lost like three or four cast members. Um, in a plane crash. <laughs> <laughs> no, just they um, went on a field trip and wandered away. They, they they can't find them. They still have not. No one knows where Alex Borstein is. <laughs> um, um, so they needed people. And we went in and had to do like that kind of typical sketch audition where they're like, do seven impressions. Yeah. And I'm like, I can do half of a Nick Nolte. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, but, but they hired us. And uh, that was the first like time I was like, oh, I'm going to for sure have a career in show business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, we were there. I was there for five years, um, which was super fun, but also just stressful for me because I was just like, I always wanted the show to be 
like a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I, I always was like resentful of them for like being on at the same time as SNL. Yeah, yeah. Because I always bummed <laughs> me out. I was like, why? every year I'd say to the owner, I'd be like, you should be on Fridays. And he would get really mad at me. And I was like, this is not cool, I don't think. I, I think we have a really funny, you know, cast. We have a fucking amazing writers. Um, and if we're trying to, like, be like SNL, and we should be this other thing. Right. And and especially at that time, SNL was what I think is the best, like, era of SNL. Like it was Amy Toller <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Twill, yeah, Amy, yeah, yeah. Tina, Seth Meyers, really, Bill Hader, really Fred Armisen. an amazing time, yeah. It's like a murderer's row. Like, literally, like... Yeah. You know, like like Maya wig is it's, crazy. And, you know, and a, a big reason from that, because from having been in the same building as SNL and having been kind of, you know, them being a different class in the same high school that I was going yep. to. Yep. yep. Um, uh, the big difference, women. They stopped being, it stopped being uh, as much of a hostile. Um, um, a yes, yeah. as, as a hostile yeah. environment for women. And it became like kind of, Almost, you know, I mean, Tina was the head writer. They became kind of yeah. weird driven and it became really well, fucking funny. Yeah. I mean, it was also like whoever was the funniest one. And it was like, yep, the funniest was Tina, yeah. uh, Dratch and Polar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like they just kind of like started taking over the show and 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 it became just this fucking. Yeah. It was, and then we would I always got mad, too. I was like, we should never have guests on that because like they would have like, oh, it's Steve Martin, like holding Mick Jagger like a baby while like fucking like, you know, uh, Ted Williams pops up and we're like, okay, but we have Todd Bridges. What do we do with Todd Bridges? <laughs> no, no disrespect to Todd. Yeah, He's yeah, a nice yeah. guy, but, but, but yeah, but it was, but I was there for five years. It's, you're not and- wrong though, because it is splitting an audience. Cause I, I hate it. It is splitting an audience. Pre-Tivo. Yeah. Because you've got, you've got the, you know, you've got an audience of sketch comedy watchers and you're going to split them then. And it's going to be split in a way that most people are going to go towards the old institution that's firing on all cylinders rather than this yeah. kind of, what still kind of was an upstart, you know? Oh, it was always an upstart. Yeah. Like it was always was. And I think the part of the problem was that was that they were always kind of like, we're going to beat SNL at their own game. And I'm like, no, you're yeah, not. Yeah. And you shouldn't even try Why to bother? play a different game. Be like, it, be like in Living Color. In Living Color did it right where they're like, you laughed on Saturday. You're gonna laugh on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I was there for five years, and they my contract was up, and I was pretty sure. I, I remember saying to my wife, I was like, I have a number in my head, and if they're under that number, I'm not coming back. And the number in their head was zero. Oh, really? <laughs> so yeah, they were just kind of, I think, just like done, and and uh, the show only did, went on another year, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but that entered my, uh, second blue period, uh-huh. <laughs> um, where I was, I, I, when I left Mad TV, I was kind of like, okay, Hey, where's the line for sitcoms? Where's the line yep. for like number four on the call sheet of a sitcom? Yep. yep. And I been there, been there yeah. and I would say done that, but I didn't do that. Cause I didn't get hired by fucking anyone. Yeah. Like I was like. Barely. And now at this point, I am with the woman who ended up being my wife. And she moved from New York to live in L.A. with a TV actor. And all of a sudden, she's now in L.A. with a guy who used to be on a TV show. Yeah. And, and who has so no that was about- reason to not get high on Wednesday morning. 
Oh my gosh, she would fucking come home. She was grinding or, you know, working so hard. She would come home and be like, what the fuck happened in the kitchen? And I'm like, well, Dave and I were writing and I I made a sandwich. And I made some homemade onion rings. You know what I mean? It was just like, <laughs> like <laughs> I was such a, just a fucking loser. Yeah. Um, uh, um, um, but it, it, yeah, no, just no one, no one. Uh, it was always the the network people who kind of were like, no, it was like, like I would get auditions and meet the casting people and then meet the creators and that would go well and then get, you know, how you test for the show. Sure, yeah, the yeah. Testing thing, right? Um, I would always get, I tested a lot and never, still to this day, never did a network test where the network was like, you're hired. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it was, it, it, it sucked for like three years. It's a, that's a it shitty, like, terrible process that does not... <laughs> You know, it's like it's um, so Victor Fresco, who was sure. the showrunner on Andy Richard Controls the Universe and on on Santa Clarita Diet, uh, said years ago, he's like, he's like this process. He said they they defend this process, and by they I mean sort of you know the network and the production companies, and they defend this process like it's got to be this way. And he said like, yeah, but it doesn't work. Like there's no it like if it work. if it was like if every show you put on was was a sixty percent chance, whereas it's like no every show you put on it and at that point too is like a ten percent chance. So it's like it's yeah, obviously it's also, the system isn't that great, you know? It's not that great. Also, there's so many shows where like the creators like no, it's going to be this guy. Like I don't think like. D- David Chase walked into a network room with fucking Bobby Bacala and was like, oh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is, uh, they were just like, okay, yeah, you're, you're the creator. You got it. Yeah, yeah. You want. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it was definitely three years of being close to some things. And the thing that kind of really saved us was the writing. Yeah. Where I, I just did my partner and I, he had moved to DC for a minute and then moved back. And we were like, let's just, let's write a fucking hilarious movie. And we started talking about, you know, people from high school coming back in your past. And we ended up selling our first screenplay, which ended up being central intelligence, Okay, um, which was this kind of fun movie with Kevin Hart and, and Dwayne that got, when we sold it back in 2009, it was like, this is an Ed Helms, Danny McBride vehicle. <laughs> and, and, and then they came aboard and then they, you know how it is. Yeah. People yeah. Yeah. On and they fall off and, Every like you know six months or so, new new names would come in. They'd be like, guys, Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, very interested, and we would get super excited. And then mm, it was just go yeah, away. Yeah. And it it wasn't until the guy who directed that got Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart attached, yeah. and then that got made. But that that once you know once you sell a movie or something, you're kind of more viable as a writer, you become viable as a writer. So we would, you know, every year sell something, Yeah, you know, maybe it was a pilot, maybe it was this, maybe we get like a blind script deal. So we were making enough to like eat food, but we were still not anywhere near where we wanted yeah. to be. Able to go to Morton's as opposed to work at Morton. Well, I would maybe go to Morton's, have a drink and then go to Fatburger. We weren't quite making Morton's but money. But still you were going to Morton's. Yeah. Yes. I would still walk into the building. Yes. Yes, yes. Um yes. what is now what is that cuz I'm always curious about that process you know because like the I you know like I say like I I I have ideas. I'm smart. I'm not dumb. <laughs> uh Like some people say. Like I'm smart. Some, some people say I'm smart. I love respect. Uh but I you know like I just that I 
I always had this like notion about like, man, I bet it would be fun to write one of those big old messy comedies. Don't even have to be in it, you know, just kind of like get this and then it gets a huge, you know, you get a big payday and stuff. But I imagine that the process that you get nickeled and dimed on jokes is that, I mean, talk about a little bit about what that is like, where you have this funny idea and and what happens to it with all the people that got to get their fingerprints on it before it goes out the door. I'll give you a good example of, of, of one. Um, we, this is back in like 2000, maybe 11 or 12, we um, got approached to relaunch Police Academy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was going to be with Key and Peele playing like the two guys. I remember that. And I remember talk, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. We They were attached and we came in and met with the, the guys at New Line and kind of pitched them our kind of take on it. And, and when you're like breaking a story, like the more excited you are about it, the better it's going to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're just like, oh, this sounds so fucking good. I, I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we came up with this like really funny story that was um, d- definitely like w- when we turned it in, <laughs> their reaction was like, guys, we kind of want this to be like a pro police movie. Oh boy. And it wasn't, Party it really hard. wasn't. A- a- and to make things more complicated, like a few months after we turned it in was um, when Trey, uh, um, uh, Mike Brown was killed yeah. in Ferguson. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the, no- the notion of having to like, make this like a movie that like celebrates cops seemed kind of crazy, even though we kind of were by having our two leads become cops. Right. They just were, we also had bad cops in the movie. We also yeah, had, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, so that you have that kind of frustration. Then we also have the guy who created police Academy who would be like, no, no, no. Mahoney would never say this or this. So, so that part can be str- like stressful. That part can be like, not fun when you're trying to, when you have an idea and you're breaking it and it feels great and the jokes are flying, but then all of a sudden the constraints start kind of coming in and you kind of start learning that, Oh, if this movie is going to be made, it has to kind of fit here and you can't do this. And we don't know if this is going to be acceptable. That's when it kind of becomes a little stressful. Yeah. Um, um, But I would say like for the most part, like, and and then it's also shitty when you're doing like a fourth or fifth round of notes yeah, where you're kind of yeah. like, I have read this thing 500 fucking times. It's not changing. I don't get it. You know what I mean? I don't understand this note. That's when you start to go crazy, but like, it really should be very like harmonious. Like if the concept is like super exciting and the characters are like really funny, that part writing those scenes is like the best. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so, so much fun. It's just having to do all the rewrites and stuff that, it just takes learning to to get used to. Yeah, it. I've never. I mean, I've written pilots. I've only written one feature, and it's it. That process is fun, where you make a movie in your head, but then or a pilot that was, in your head. That was the English patient, right? It was. It was the English patient. Why did you write that? Well, I just wanted their uh, see. I the reason they took it away from me because I just wanted it to be all fucking. Yeah, so there was, much fucking. But there was a. I feel like there was already quite a bit of sex in it, and, no, oh, no, and no, I don't no, know why. No, it was a joke. How little fucking there was in that movie. Uh, uh, and yeah, also, I wanted the, I don't know. the the patient to be uh, uh, from Brazil. Hmm. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, look, I didn't mean to bring it up, but it it just. Yeah, because uh, I had read about the, I, I, they're they're trying to get hashtag release the Richter cut going. 
and I, I kind of want to see it, but at the same time, I'm worried it's going to be bad and it's going <laughs> to make like, me think. Oh, it'll be terrible. Other. It'll be terrible. No, I, I, uh, that was the, you know, you write this movie, you see it in your head, you kind of fall in love with it, and then you send it out into the world and people, you know, it's like sending your kid to school and then you get a note like, we get back and the kid is holding a note that the teacher says, your kid's kind of ugly. And you're like, oh. you know, or don't, don't oh. you think your kid could be a little taller or don't you think your kid could, you know, I don't get your kid. And it's, just, you know, and it just, it's like, and for me too, with my attention span, especially like in the pilot writing process, as yeah. you get notes and then you adjust to the notes and you get notes and you get adjust to the notes. And I don't even say like, the notes process is bad because you are, it is mass communication and you, mm-hmm. I'm writing something and my, my taste is not for fucking everybody. And I mean, the stuff that I really like is, you know, yeah, I mean, most comedians stuff is just like awful. Like, I mean, awful in terms of like blood curdlingly sick and mean yes. and, or just yes. dark and, 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 uh, so you, you're kind of, you know, you make this show and you want it to, you want people to see it. So you're sort of taking these people that are paid to have judgments about mm-hmm. creative people stuff. And you're going, okay, I'm going to take this at face value. You're, you're the voice of the masses. You're like, you, you yes. Know, and, and sometimes they give you notes where you're like, okay, I can see that. I can see that this will make totally something more accessible. They might not say it right. And so you try and meet it. But after the it's third like, yeah. or fourth round, I don't care anymore. I'm done with, I just, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't eat, make it, don't make it. It's, you know, I, I'm not in love yeah. with it anymore. I, I had the magic of, of seeing it and doing it. And now it's like, eh, you know. Yeah, no, totally. It's once you've read something too many times, you start to not see how it can change. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of like, this is, this is inviolate. Like it's not, it can't, this is what it yeah, is yeah. at this point. And, and it's, it's, uh. It's not fun, but it still is like very like when I get an idea for a movie and I really like, I, I'm excited by it. It kind of like consumes me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And I end up like my daughters will be like, "Who are you talking to?" And I'm like, my, "Myself." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like I'm acting scenes out for a movie that hasn't been written. talking to the old sea captain in my head. <laughs> um, now, if you, uh, if you had to do one or the other acting writing like if somebody came along and said like yeah no more acting just writing would you be okay with that if i had to do one or the other i think at the end of the day i would do i would do i would pick writing over you would i think i would i love i love i listen being on set is fun being like on a call sheet is like great and i like have I, I love actors. Like I fucking love actors. Mm-hmm. I think they are like true, like kind souls. You yeah, know what I yeah. mean? And like for the most, exciting I mean, stuff. For the most part. For the most part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, for the most part. I mean, like, you know, like when I think of like, you know, actors that like I love, it's like Robert Blake, um, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> um fuck. I mean, you know, OJ acted a little, but like Elaine um, Elaine Stritch. Elaine I'm sorry, Stritch. that's not fair of me to add her into <laughs> It's yeah, Robert Blake. <laughs> but um but like I so I love acting, but I think at the end of the day, like if I had to only do one, I think like the times where I'm the happiest is where like I'm kind of by myself writing something that I like love. Or with my partner, yeah. my writing partner, writing something that just feels like it, 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 you could see it. Like you can imagine like people watching this and loving it. Like that to me is like the most yeah. exciting thing. So if I had to do one or the other, I would I think I'd pick that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I um, I still just like I like, I you know, there's all different. You know, I've hosted game shows. I have this podcast thing, which people are like, maybe there's something for you to do in interviewing on television. Which I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, I mean you I might as podcast, but okay. Yeah, like it's happens. podcasts. Podcasts are bigger now. Than, yeah, yeah. Like an interview show on network. Right, TV. right. But I, yeah. I, uh, but I still, I just still come back to like, and I, you know, and I mean, I set out to be a, a character actor, and I got on a talk show, and you know, I became the sidekick on a comedy talk show that I'm super proud of, and and I'm absolutely floored with how grateful and lucky I am to have been on a show that means something. To funny people, um, but it wasn't what I started. It's like one of the, it was one of the cornerstones of comedy, though. That show is like that show I is truly like if you. Far, oh, I think I think like for me, when you look at like the things that shape me, yeah. it's like Letterman, you guys, SNL, um, for TV comedy, right. SNL, Wendy Williams um, show, Wendy Williams show, mm-hmm. Dish Nation, <laughs> and uh, uh, um, TMZ Live. Yes. Um, but no, like those shows, I think, like I said, like it co- keeps coming back to the 90s. But like those shows came about in a moment where comedy transformed from like either very broad or purely situational into, you know, uh, just weirder uh, um, uh, with transitions, thematic shit. It was just it, that show was very, very, very important. Oh, thank so you. I thank you. Like, well, yeah. I mean, and I. I love that I got to do that, but it's, but I still go back to like, I just, I still would like to just end out, you know, the rest of my career, because uh, I mean, who knows how long Conan wants to do this, you know, but, uh, you know, I still, I just want to like, you know, I want to go to fucking, you know, I want to go to Milan for two weeks and play like, you know, a bumbling embassy employee or what, you know, I mean, oh my God. just all of that That's is that to me is just like the most magical. And also being on a film set to me still, it's the best with yeah. the, it's like being in the circus. Cause you've got like this collection of like trucks that people Freaks. live in yeah. and you blow things up and there's animals and look at this crazy costume. I'm dressed up like a knight today. You know, it's all. Yeah. It's just yeah. the silliest way to make a living and just the best, you know? And it's also, too, it's like, it's all you got to do is show up and know your lines. Like, it's so simple. All you got to do. It's like, you just got to know your I lines. I think that was and, Joan Crawford's line, right? Show up on time and know yeah, your lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else can be calibrated. And, it's so true. Yeah. And, and for the record, there's- That was the other one. Take yeah, Fountain. Yeah. That was Betty Davis. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, oh what, uh, who, was, uh, who did you say it was? I think Joan Crawford, oh, Joan Crawford. show up on time yeah, yeah, and know yeah. your lines. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I've been on mo- like big movie sets where, for whatever reason, I couldn't remember my. Life. Oh yeah, I know. And and that that fucking sucks. Where yeah. you're like, I remember I was doing a, I was doing this movie with Liam Neeson, right? Right. It was a weird movie about like Watergate, and it was like my first day, and I play like an FBI agent, and I'm coming to like take him to the FBI office or something, and I can't remember what the line was, but it was something like, you know, we got two other cars here. You choose whichever one you want. Let's not make a big deal out of out of it. It was something like that, and like every time I did it, I'd like like for, would forget one of the words. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. And like the director was like, kind of came over to me. He's like, "So yeah, I'm just gonna show you these lines real quick, and I want you to really just kind of say every one of them." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I'm sorry." <laughs> 
<laughs> seems fair. Well, you know what that is, Andy? That's the fucking uh, improv in us. Yeah. Where we're like, I, I'm going to say an approximation yes. of this. Yes. And like that shit doesn't work for like period FBI Watergate yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. Where you're like, I'm just going to get the gist, the essence of what I have. Yeah, I do the same thing where it's like I have, I tend to paraphrase. Where it's, you know, mm-hmm. where say the line is like, you know, we've got to get down to that place and figure out what that guy did. And, I, um, you know, and I might say, you know, we got to get over there and figure out what he, what he was all about or, you know, or yes. something like that, you know? And I just, yes, and, yeah. and I, you know, and there, with varying degrees, there are people like I worked on, I worked on a movie once where I just, it was during the writer's strike and it was kind of like a lax time. And they like the yeah. director and the producer were rewriting things where, it was they were just making it worse and so i just decided early on and we were on location i just decided i'm just gonna say what i want i mean i'm gonna gonna make sure every line kind of does the same thing and nobody ever said and i just kind of like just make up my own lines every time i kind of do that now if if i'm in a movie where it is like a you know, it's one thing if you're on like a you know whatever like an aaron sorkin movie or something blah blah blah. but like if you're on a fucking movie blah blah blah, i'll say to the director be like i think these lines are great. I know what they mean. I think this part's a little wonky. Do you give me the permission to kind of just do my take on it? And for the most part, almost every time they're like, great. Right. And, and so, so, uh, but I definitely like do, it wouldn't work. Like I, I couldn't have been like, like, uh, uh, you know, Rhett Butler and gone with the wind. Yeah. I would have been like, Hey, for real, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like- <laughs> Whatever, Scarlet. Bye. Uh, listen, listen up, Scarlet. Bye, bitch. <laughs> um, um, but, but, but I, I, I'm upfront with them, and I'm really grateful when they do kind of give me permission to kind of just yeah. go off and do my own shit. Yeah. So then, um, was because I, I think the outside of Mad TV, I think the first thing that you popped into for me was, uh, was Eastbound and Down. Uh, that was that was the gig that kind of saved me. Yeah, saved you. That from- was the gig that saved me. Saved me from like, do I move to New York and just try to become like an equity theater actor, yeah. which I don't think I could do. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just like dedicate full time to the writing because I just wasn't quite getting enough stuff, and I was still testing for stuff. And I was a huge fan of Danny McBride. Yeah, I loved the Foot Fist way. I like right away. Like I loved his song. I loved everything he was he was doing. Yeah. And I loved Eastbound and Down. And I was like, this show is fucking amazing. And then that second season, I got a call from my my then agent, who's like the casting director, who you know, Allison Jones, great casting yeah. director. Um, she, they're casting the part of the catcher for season two. It's like his best friend. And I was like, like even getting this audition, I was like, holy yeah, fucking yeah. shit. And I went down, and I I never forget. I was I was getting in my car, and my agent called and said, "Hey, flag on the play. They already went out to someone, and he's going to do it." Um, and I was like, really bummed out. And I was like, literally anything else they can they can any other part. I'll do two lines, whatever. And he's like, "There's only one other part. It's a Russian though. Can you do like an accent?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can do it. My my dad's Russian. I can do a Russian accent." And like my dad's dad's dad was Russian. Right, right. <laughs> um, but um, I, I went in like a couple days later and uh, there were other dudes there who were like athletes who were also Russian. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I probably won't get this. 
But um, I because if there's anything like, that Russian athletes are known for, it's for being funny. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fucking Ryan! Uh, I just, I just, uh, so many classic Russian athlete <laughs> comedy actors. I'm trying to can't stop yeah, thinking yeah. of them. Uh, but, but it was again, it was the improv. It was the kind of freedom and confidence of knowing, like you could even adding a couple lines at the end of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I remember like reading with Danny and like the scene ended and I was like, the fuck are you looking at motherfucking look at me, bitch. And he was just like, what the fuck is this this shit? (laughs) And, and then, uh, and then I got it and I was so like, couldn't have been happier. I was just like, I'm going to go to South Carolina for like a month. And and finally an excuse to get a mullet. Finally an excuse to get a mullet we actually got it. My hair grew back and then they had to do reshoots and it was like a week before my buddy's wedding that I was in. So like in all of his wedding photos, I look like a fucking <laughs> Ukrainian high school student in like 1987. Um, but but uh, uh, but I, I remember that night. I remember the night they had like the little premiere party. Uh, um, for the second season. For the, for the second season at Cinespace. And I remember it aired and like... Will Forte came up to me. and was like, "You were that was great. What a great job!" And like all these people that I like had known and watched and maybe met one time would be like, "Dude, great job!" And I was like, "I fucking it was on cloud nine. And th- it was because of that show which directly led led me to uh, Mindy Kaling, uh-huh. who was a huge fan of the show and started following me on Twitter, and I was obsessed with her i thought she was i love the office it's one of my favorite shows yeah. ever and and the fact that she was a writer performer i was like that's so fucking cool Oh, absolutely yeah and yeah so cool and then i i got the um i got the um my partner and i found out she had was doing a pilot and we met with her just as staff and she kind of made a comment when we met with her she was like and you know you should you were so funny on eastbound maybe you could like play like a little part on the show or something and i was like yeah, great. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, yeah, whatever. And like, she fucking like the second week went to wrote me the sides, handed me the character. I started laughing right away because I love desperate. I love playing desperate losers. Mm-hmm. Like it's the funniest mode for me. And she fucking went to the network and was like, he's playing it. Like we're not reading other people. It's just him. And and then like it just that character worked very well on that show because he was um he was an agitator but he was also like a kind of a like her best friend yeah and so it really that that was the you know she's she really kind of making that show is what really kind of taught me everything i need to know about like how to make a show how to how to to run the show and how to deal with and also just how to navigate like there's so much of it that's just knowing how to navigate knowing when to say no knowing when to give you know yeah 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 it's it 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 was really just uh and and it was you know really stressful at first just because we were on we were kind of one of the last shows where overnight numbers really kind of mattered they had already started like really dipping once kind of tivo and stuff came up but by the time we were on the air i mean i think our first episode was like a maybe like a two one or something we were like huh it's a little you know we wish it was two new girl was two eight that would have been better um but um 
by the end, I mean, it was just like there's no shows that have that anymore mm-hmm. that have like the overnight writing. So we still had that constant pressure of like Wednesday morning, we have to have this number. And, and so it was stressful. And it's also just like that network single camera schedule is like a bear. Yeah. Like it's like it's a bear, especially if you're kind of writing as well. Did you have so, kids but uh, during that time? I had I had my first two kids during that time. Yeah. That's um, when it's and, rough. That's what because when I was doing yeah. Andy Richter controls the universe. I was, I would go four days without seeing because because uh, Will, my son, who's nineteen now, was uh, was a baby, was like barely yeah. on the one or the other side of being a year old, and I would go four days not seeing him awake. Like I'd leave yeah. before yeah. he woke <laughs> up, and I'd come home when he was yeah. you know asleep, and that yeah, sucks. It was. It sucks. I mean, it's, yeah, listen, I'm on a fucking TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, it's, it's hard enough to not see your family when you're working, doing anything, but especially when you got a little, a brand new baby and And, then you're, and it's, it it exhausts you and you're, you're, you were number one on the call sheet and it's like, it's so much, it's a lot of stress and, and, you know, luckily one of my kids was born during hiatus. So that kind of was like a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but it was, um, you know, I like, yeah, I look back at that show with just like nothing but just love. And it was really funny because she is so funny and she, you know, took such good care of the crew. Yeah. And and it was, we had mo- a lot of our crew stayed the same over the six years. Yeah. And it was really, um, it was really like a joyful did you end up, and now Did you end up being yeah, a series but, regular after the first year? Yeah. After the first yeah, year, wow. I think I became series reg. Yeah, Double dipping, nice. Just, got that writer check, woo! got that acting check. Woo! That was really, really, really Really, bad. covering that was, the that union. Was when, if they fly anywhere, you get two first-class seats. Because you're and in I two would, different sometimes fields. I, I would just put my little Hudson News bag in the second seat. Wouldn't even use it. <laughs> wouldn't even use it. People would come by. One time, a veteran came by, and they say, can he sit here? I said, no. No, no, sorry. Ask the writer's I said, I'm sorry, if sir. you can sit there. Tell him I appreciate his service, yeah. but my, my, my two waters are going to be sitting here. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Ta- take it up with the union. Well, were you ex- so uh, were you expected to be in the writer's room as much, as, or did, were you kind of like just checking back in with David? But by the time our episode, you know, some shows, they do a thing where if you write the episode, you basically produce the yes. episode. So you're going to all the meetings and you're on set. And Mindy did that. And when Dave and I wrote our episode, which was maybe like the ninth episode, I think, I think partially because I was already on set a lot as an actor and there were kind of two of us and we're two like kind of bigger Chicago guys who aren't like Harvard dudes. Yeah. I think she was like, you, you guys are blue collar. You should be on set. <laughs> and so we became just permanent on set. Oh, okay. We would still go to the room on hiatus weeks or, you know, uh, whatever. But, um, we, we, um, we yeah we were we were uh, uh, basically on set every day from rap from call to rap every wow. day. Wow! So yeah, that was that was a grind. Even if too, you're man. not on like, camera, you've got to be there anyway. You got to be there anyway, yeah. just because the nature of that show was we like to after we recorded after we got a few takes down is to like change stuff yeah. and tighten stuff up and and so and like you know how those days go where you're like they start an hour an hour later so like Monday you get home at seven. But Friday, you get home at like eleven, yeah, and you're so just you're just so so tired. For but people, again, the way, I still look. Yeah. The reason that happens is because when you rap in 
it costs the production money if you don't get 12 hours off. So if you wrap at 7, your call can't be until 7. So your day just ends up as it starts out the week and you go later and later and later. By Friday, sometimes your call is 11 a.m. because you finished at 11 p.m. the night before. And Friday, you might be there until 2 or 3 o'clock Saturday morning. Yeah. Because it just yeah. is, you need what they call turnaround, which is a 12-hour period of rest in between working. And if they make you forfeit your turnaround or shorten it, they cost them a lot of Let's move on because I know you got to go. Um, uh, let's let's move on to uh, you know this is kind of the the how you got here and you know and now it's like uh, where are you going? What do you got going on now? And and where do you see yourself uh, in the future? Where do I see myself in the future? I mean, it's so weird, Andy. It <laughs> well now like, it's a hard to say anything. Yeah, I find myself so thinking, hard. Like, what's the future bringing? I'm like, I, I'm and it. I'm like you're living in a bubble. We're all like on a, it's, a permanent or not permanent, but like the entire world has pressed pause. So it's impossible yeah. to think like about. I mean, I I, I like to th- I, I would like to think that what I where I'm going and what I'm doing is continuing to do what I have been doing, yeah, which is creating stuff and and acting in it you know what i mean like like we have a tv show that we're we're starting to develop um and if i was able to do that and do 10 episodes a year of that and then do a weird little indie movie and be able to kind of exist in this little bubble i've created for myself putting our art out there i would love nothing more to do that as i watch my children grow up in peace yeah (laughs) I, i i i i have a feeling that you know, I think um, out of whether it's passion or, or necessity, I, I think we're all going to be doing a lot of other stuff yeah. too. Um, I just, you know, in light of the last few months, last few years, last few months, last few days, um, it, it feels like you will you will have a hard time going back to the old world, um, you know, it, a, it's changed. Like literally our business has changed so much. They might make four movies a year now. You know what I yeah. mean? They might, d- d- you know, there might be a new Quibi, you know, that's only half the time or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, um, but, but, but I feel like um, we're going to have to do um, a lot of work on our country. And, and uh, I, you know, I know that like, I'm definitely, definitely going to be doing whatever I can to fucking, get Donald Trump out of office. And, and I think whether he leaves, whether he loses and leaves or, or um, wins, I think the work doesn't stop. I think if like, you know, let's say Joe Biden wins, like it, 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 it we know now, I think how vulnerable we all are. And, and I, I think like, I'm definitely like kind of committing to doing whatever I can to <laughs> make sure we kind of, don't have someone like Trump again, yeah. or if we do, there's fucking healthcare, there's Medicare for all. So if everyone suddenly loses their job, they don't, they're not completely destitute. Like I, I and I know that's whatever you can call it virtual signaling or whatever, you know, but like, to me, it's just like, I don't want to live in a country where even if I'm lucky enough to still get to do my work, everyone else pretty much 
their life is shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, I think Republicans for a long time have been like, oh, we're going to turn into Venezuela, socialist country. We're going to turn to fucking Venezuela. It's like, no, we're going to turn into fucking Rio. We're going to turn into Argentina, which is like, we're literally like people live in fucking mansions and like mothers put their babies at the mansion because they can't feed mm -hmm. them and people are dead in the streets. And so, you know, I, I was always someone that looked at politics through kind of a fun lens and an exciting, sexy lens. And now it's like, it's our lives. It's our fucking lives. And I don't want to, I don't want to go through my life um, watching the cops beat the fuck out of people on my camera, uh, on my, on my uh, Twitter feed. And I, uh, where friends of mine are having to like sell their fucking parents' possessions because they need healthcare. And we're looking at it. Look, I'm not trying to be a downer at the end, but it's looking fucking dark and ominous. And I just feel like that it's going to, take more than business as usual and it's going to take it's going to take people like stepping out of their comfort zone and 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 i think we have an obligation to try to try to fix the country i wish that oh uh fart sound <laughs> i just shit my pants i wanted to tag it with well, a classic you got, chicago you're, you're, joke. it's important you're you got to work both sides of the street you know you don't want to lose any of your audience the smarties you or don't. the dum-dums. You got to get. No, I got to yeah. keep them all in. All your, keep them all in. All your, uh, you know, your Ike likers. Uh, the the Ikeettes. Yeah. I always I always um, make people in my life. Uh, <laughs> I make people in my life furious at me, like including my children. Why I talk about the Fandies. Look, I'm doing it for the Fandies. <laughs> That's just like the grossest possible thing. Well, well what are the fandies going to say if I do that? What do the fandies think about that? No, yeah. no, no. It's like, it, it's still not as funny as Gaga's fans who are little monsters, which I <laughs> love because I love her. Right, and right, I'm right. like, I'm a little monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, or uh, uh, Mariah Carey's lambs. The, the lambs. That is a yeah, that's that a that's too like cult. That's too yes, culty for me. That's uh, yeah. like now lambs. Remember, we're all gonna yeah, kill ourselves they were, tonight because there were lambs in the Bible. So it's like, well, you kind of uh, touched on you know what you've learned, kind of thing. You kind of left us with a you know, I mean, I do think for people that you know the whole notion of like I'm not really into politics right now kind of doesn't cut it. Like you gotta, I get it. You don't want to be. You know, everybody's got to be into something, you know, like everybody has to have their pet project and their cause. And like some people, you know, some people it's it's sort of gun control and some people it's the environment and other people it's reproductive rights. And, you know, and you can kind of be in all of them, but you got to be into something. You got to be alive. You got to be alive and awake and have some point of view on this because you can't just play video games and passive. watch superhero movies and and blithely think that you know that that somehow you know petitioning to get your favorite tv show to not be canceled is somehow activism it's not it's Look, just I, selfish. Andy, andy andy i wanted jericho back and i started a very popular campaign this is why i this is why we're doing what? this it's just I will, I will say this because I, you know, because I'm a fan of the pod, the one thing I kind of thought about, like, what did I learn? And it's, I'll keep it short, but I think we are living in the golden age of assholes, right? <laughs> Where it's like, we have, we have lost one of truly like the most important guardrails of any like society, yeah. which is shame, right? There's no more shame. It's not a thing. Like we literally have like a, 
like a like a uh, the dumbest, biggest liar, like a stupid gossip columnist present. Yeah. And and he doesn't give a shit. And so it's he's emboldened a lot of people to act like assholes. Yeah. So you constantly are bombarded with images of look at this fucking asshole who tore away a Black Lives Matter sign from a young girl yeah. in Maryland. Look at this racist woman at a Walmart. And it's important we recognize that those people are out there and they, their mindset needs to be defeated. Yeah. But I swear to God that the vast majority of people are good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like when you talk to people and you go out, most people are, are, are good. Yeah. <laughs> and most people hate what's happening too. And I think it's very easy for us to get disheartened and be like, and we should be sometimes, but like, I do have hope because I, I think most, most people are good. I know they're giving Joe Biden shit for being like 15% of people are bad. It's much higher. But it's still much lower than people are good. Yeah. And it's like, I'm trying my best to like be aware of the assholes, but like lift up the good people. I mean, physically. Right. I know. I'm trying to work out. You're handsy. I'm very yeah. handsy. Constantly picking people up. <laughs> I'm a, begging. To I'm, a hands, I'm a handsy fancy. <laughs> well, thank you, Ike. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, I think you are a wonderful person. I think uh, you're talented. And uh, Oh, and people has got to check out your movie. I don't think um, the movie that you... Oh, The Oath. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's streaming on Hulu. The Oath, yeah. Listen, if you want to escape and you want to just watch a movie about incredible government interference and the emergence of a fascist state... This is the movie to It's watch. a knee slapper as far as like totalitarian a, comedies go. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it is on Hulu. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, it's, that a, that, it's something that you wrote and you're in and uh, Tiffany Haddish is in it. And it's a really it's really a great, fun movie with a lot of great performances. And uh, and it needs uh, a little more love and uh, attention. God bless you. Uh, anyway, you so I, I love you. And, uh, and I hope to see you at some point uh, face to face and uh, breathe on you touch you i'm I, i'm going to not practice social distance yes I see you. lift me I'll up that much. let me be one lift of those you, you lift up big old yes. kiss and a big old kiss to all of you out there uh thanks for tuning in to the uh, uh the, the three questions i believe it's called and uh we will yes. get back at you next time thank you i've got a big big love for you the Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galitza Hayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.